This is a unique time of year. Uh, it's a time when we think of all aspects of, of, of time. We, we're in the present. Uh, we're thinking of the past. Usually we remember the past year that we have, and we're usually thinking of the future, the, the year ahead of us. So we're thinking all aspects of time during, the, during this time of year. We're in especially a special time this year, right? We're starting a new decade, so I've heard a, a lot of people think about what what is, you know, what has happened in the last decade, right? For for me, sometimes I, I like baseball, so in the sports, they talked about, oh, the all-decade team or the best player from each team in the last decade. Um, it's just interesting to see because some guys are still playing, some guys are retired. Again, that's someone's opinion, but it's it's interesting as we as we think about things. Usually, we block things in in groups of time, and we like to think back about uh, and look back in in those groups of time and, and think about uh, what happened. And then, we, as we look forward to the next decade, like in the next ten years, what'll happen? In light of that, I was thinking of Proverbs uh, sixteen verse nine. This is one of my my favorite verses because it reminds me that although I make plans, I'm not in control of my plans. So let me read Proverbs 16, verse 9. It says, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so no matter how we, how we plan our ways, the Lord is the one who directs our steps. And I want to take a little bit of time here this morning to think of uh, how he's directed the steps, directed the steps of man in the past in the Bible, and then also think a little bit about ourselves, how he's he's directed our steps, and maybe you could think about a few things. I've got a few examples, my myself, and then I've got a little acrostic to to think about plans and um, plans and direct directing, like how God directs and how we plan, and then I'm going to go just think about. Uh, the future of what God's doing in the future, just so that we can have comfort and uh, just rely on him, knowing that he's in control of everything that's going on in our lives. Uh, let's just look to the Lord. Father, we, we, th- we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the completeness of it, for uh, its ability to, to reach to the very heart of man, and teach us, teach us what we should know, what we should do. And Father, uh, help me this morning. Help me as I speak. Um, Lord, help it to be a, a clear message, uh, very clearly given. Lord, you know the, the struggles and the trials that each one is in here. We, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would uh, be with them and give them uh, calmness of heart and mind, uh, help them to hear what they need to hear, um, each one of us, not just here, but to, to hear with the, the thought of us doing what we need to do, if there's something we need to do here this morning. Thank you again for your spirit to, to help this morning, help in both the hearing and the speaking. Uh, thank you for your son, who's uh, made this way of fellowship with you possible. And um, thank you that uh, you are here with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so how has the, the Lord directed steps? Uh, how has he done so in the past as seen in the Bible? Have you ever wondered why the Bible is so full of narratives? Why does, you know, he talk about his interaction with man from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation? Why is there this huge section of the history of the nation of Israel? Is it, is it just because it's a history book? Is it just because God wanted to kind of lay out the, the history and the rules that he had there? I, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think there's, you know, if we were laying out a book or a guide, right, to something, you probably wouldn't give a, you give a few examples, but maybe not as many as you have here in the, in the Bible. You probably give a list of rules and then an example to, to go by it, right? That's how an instruction manual will be, like, here, here's how it is, and here's the example to follow. The Bible's not like that, right? It, it gives a, a whole narrative of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and then there's some narrative in the New Testament of Jesus Christ and the, the church, and then, you know, then finally there's kind of that uh, instructions that Paul gives to the churches, and, you know, there's sections in the Old Testament, like uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that give instructions to the, the nation of Israel. But for the most part, the Bible is a, is a narrative. And, you know, I think it's there because it is, the, is there to show us that God is directing what is going on throughout human history. One of the things I was thinking of, I was reading through Second Kings here recently, um, you know, it's a great passage to speak on, Second Kings. I was just thinking about, like, the part where Jehu comes into Jezreel, and there's a whole uh, accounting of what he does to Jezebel. Actually, it's not what he does. He, you know, he comes in. Uh, Jezebel, you know, she paints her eyes. She gets all prettied up, goes to the window, and she basically says to Jehu, you know, is it peace uh, you know, murder of your master. And, and he basically goes, hey, who's on my side to the eunuchs that are up there? And he tells these eunuchs to throw her down. And he, they throw her down. And then it gets a little gruesome. He, they trample her underfoot. And they go in and eat and drink. And then they go out to try to find her. Um, but I think the reason why I go through that is because Jehu gives a, a clear reason of why that happened. You know, they come back and they... They barely find anything of Jezebel, but he says this. He says, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Chishbite, saying, on the plot of ground of Jezreel, Jog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be his refuge on the, refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. Again, it's the Lord directing things. Jezebel and Ahab had all sorts of plans. Even Jezebel herself, right? Uh, Ahab, he, he tries to do things the right way with Nabal and taking his, or, or buying his vineyard. Uh, and then he comes back kind of like a spoiled child. But then Jezebel, she, she basically makes some wicked plans to get those, to get that plot of ground. And, and this is the punishment for, for that. Uh, you know, there's a, a prophecy. Because she did that, here's what the Lord did. And so it's a clear example of the Lord directing what's going on there and making sure that what he says fully comes true. And his plans have not changed from the beginning of time. 
no matter what Satan has done, no matter what sinful human beings have tried to do, God has put his plan in motion, his plan that he had before the foundation of the world, and he is executing on it. One of the other examples I thought of was the nation of Israel. If you take the nation of Israel, if you think about it, you have this one man, Abraham. He's directed by God to leave Ur. He goes to Canaan, where he's promised by God to inherit all the land that he sees. He's also promised to have descendants as numerous as the stars. Yet he has no son. He has no heir. Yet God says, in your old age, you will have a son. And he provides a son for him, Isaac. Abraham dies not seeing either one of these promises, the promise of having his descendants as numerous as the stars or owning a a property of land. As far as I know, the only property that Abraham owned when he died was where the tomb of Sarah, his wife, was. So he owned none of the land in, in the promised land that God had given him. Yet as you continue to look of how God is fulfilling that promise, you see that Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you have two nations wrestling against each other, which got so bad that, you know, Jacob, he had to leave Canaan for fear of his brother Esau. So how is God going to, you know, fulfill his plan if, you know, the one who's taken the birthright is no longer in the promised land? Well, we see that God brought Jacob back, changed his name from deceiver to Israel. He blessed him with 12 sons. But it doesn't end there, right? We, we see that even there's strife among the, the brothers, the 12 brothers, right? Joseph is hated by his brothers. So they sell him to Egypt. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, really. And he's taken to Egypt, thrown in prison unjustly, right? For something he didn't do, for serving faithfully. He's forgotten, but God raises him up to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He makes him second in command, and he preserves the whole family of Israel, right? They're taken down there during this famine, and they live in Egypt for several centuries with the Egyptians. But we see that strife comes again, right? The Egyptians, they see these Israelites, they're afraid of them, so they, they go to kill, they go to kill them kill the babies because they're becoming too numerous, more numerous than the Egyptians. And you have this baby come on the scene, Moses. I find it interesting that Moses isn't even named by his parents. I don't think there's a name. I couldn't find a name for him in the Bible. It's actually Pharaoh's daughter that names him Moses to draw him out, um, to give the picture that God wants to draw out his people uh, from there, from the Egyptians. But Moses, right, he grows up in Pharaoh's household. He, he has this real desire to, to serve the Lord. He's very zealous, but he does it in the wrong way, right? He kills the, he kills the Egyptian, and then he has to flee. He spends 40 more years in the wilderness, in Midian, learning how to live in the wilderness, learning how to shepherd Think of all the things that God was teaching him during that time. And then God calls him back to, de- to deliver uh, the nation of Israel from the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And the way God does it is he shows that he is the one true God to Pharaoh. 
Every one of those plagues is a, is a way to show that every one of the Egyptian gods that they had is, is not a real god, but that the god that the Israelites serve is the one and true god. And so they, the, he doesn't only do that. He leads them out of the wilderness. I find it interesting that Moses doesn't even lead the people, right? God is leading the people. He's leading them by a, either a cloud or a pillar of fire by day or by night. And, you know, Moses is, is following the lead of God, the direction of God while he's there. And, and God also providing food for them, manna and quail, and making sure they're closed and, and fall, uh, closed and wear out. And so you can see all through Israel's history, just the beginning of their history of how God provided for them, we could go on to say, talk about Joshua and, you know, the battles he fought and how God provided for them. God was directing them and directing his plan and giving them the promise that he had promised Abraham from the beginning, that they would inherit the land. So we could see from here the nation of Israel that God, that God is directing things in the background. He knows what he wants done, and he's making sure they get accomplished. We just celebrated Christmas. I think that's like one of the, the clearest ways that I, you can see God in his directing things, right? We, talk, we talked about, it talks about in Scripture that this is the plan that God had before the foundation of the world. And you can see that God is directing steps we see that there is, you know, Joseph and Mary. Uh, this probably wasn't part of their plan to have a baby, right? Their, their plan was to, uh, you know, get married. They loved each other. I think, sure, sure, Mary wasn't thinking of, hey, I'm going to get pregnant. Joseph wasn't thinking, hey, Mary's, Mary's going to have a baby. And so we, you see that man has plans in his heart, but the Lord is directing things to happen the way he wants them to happen. But not only in his birth, we can also see it in his death. If you, if you think about how he's directing in his, in his death, you have the Lord Jesus Christ coming, being innocent, but you have Satan entering into Judas, Judas having that thought or that greed or that plan of getting money, right? He didn't have a plan of beyond handing Jesus over to the, to the Pharisees. We have these pharisaical Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews of that day. They, they hand Jesus over to Pilate out of jealousy. Pilate knows that clearly, right? They have this, they have this plan that they're, they're trying to execute that, that, that they think unwittingly they're doing, they're doing God's plan. He's directing them to, to, do, his, to do his work. We have Pilate. You know, he realizes that Jesus Christ is innocent, but he wants to please the crowd. And so he crucifies the Lord. All, all these plans that these people have, you know, Pilate's plan is, is not to fulfill the, that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. His plan is, you know, to please the crowd. The Pharisees, their plan is not to, their, their plan is to kill Jesus, 
But they, out of jealousy, they want to get rid of him. Not because he's, he's there to, you know, he's the savior of their sins, right? In fact, they mock him. He saved others. He can, can't, can't he save, save himself? Um, so we see God directing in the background in the Bible, directing his plan of what he has in place, directing what he wants to be done. We also see that in our lives. I know CG has shared once or twice that, you know, he would never have met Annie if the Lord had not directed his steps and him not getting a visa. Like all his friends got visas to come to the United States, yet he was left there alone, um, went to a family member's wedding, and there he met Annie, his wife. And so, you, see, you know, we can see that. Myself, um, just thinking about how the the Lord is directed. Last year, I was, you know, approached by a recruiter to, for a, for a job interview in Buffalo, New York, and I, you know, I was sitting there seeking, like, Lord, is this what you want? I, I, I don't understand what you're doing, but um, you know, I, I interviewed for the job. <laughs> the interviews went so well, I, I kind of took a step back and said, Lord, is this is this what you want? What do you want? So Sarah and I, we, we were praying to the Lord about it. But within the, the week of having, a, a, you know, like the second interview, I was asked inside to inside GE to, to interview for a position that I, I previously had, like, not considered. I, I didn't apply for it. And yet God, God gave me that job inside GE as, like, a, a very clear answer of how he wanted to direct to where he wanted me to go. Sometimes in life, we're, we're stuck with these, where do you, what do you want, Lord? What are you, where are you directing? It's not part of my plans. I wasn't, I'm not planning on moving, but Lord, please, you know, please teach me. Please let me know what you want. And the Lord, in his graciousness, is, is clear with us and telling us what he wants us to do. For me, he not only provided a way to to stay in my current job, but also, uh, you know, provided uh, financial benefit that was equivalent to the job that was was being offered in, in Buffalo. So the Lord is is very gracious in how He deals with us, but He He's directing us. We could see it from our past in our lives. I can even think of like um, how I met my my wife. Uh, it's just easy. I, you know, everybody asked me why'd you go to Cedarville. I was like, well, my baseball coach went there, and I, I is dead, dead serious about this. This is it's like the only school I applied to. Didn't know anybody here in Ohio, but because of that, right, I ended up going to a local church up in Dayton where Sarah's family went to. I ended up meeting her, and you know, those type of things happen, and they're not. A lot of people like to call them chance. But it's really God directing our, our steps of our, our plans. So I want to get into little these acrostics. So man's, man's plans. And before I, I talk about their, these plans, there are three verses that I found that are warnings for us that tell us how we should plan. The first one is in Proverbs 6, uh, and it's in uh, verse, verse 16, and it's, Really, the the verse sixteen and then eighteen a, because it says it says this, 
These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven now are abomination to him. And then skipping to the first part of 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. You see, we have this warning from God that we should not plan wickedly because the Lord hates wicked plans. The second warning is to, it's in, found in Luke 12. Luke 12, 16 through 21. And it says, it, it, it's this, Beware of laying up earthly treasures for self instead of God. That's the warning. But Luke 12, verse 16 Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones, and there will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So that warning from Jesus Christ to not only lay up treasures for self, but to lay up treasures for God. And then this, this last part, it's a very sobering thought. You know, when man's plans, when man has plans, they die with him. Psalm 146, Psalm 146, the last part of uh, verse 4 says this. In, in his very days, it says this, in, his, in that very day his plan dies. So it talks about in the beginning of, of that verse, his spirit departs, he returns to the earth, talking about man and his diet. In that very day, his plans perish. So just the, the warning that our, our plans are only as long as our, as our life. So I thought about how to best think about the plans and to get us to, to remember when we plan, how we should plan. And then how God directs. So I made a little uh, acrostic. So plan. So the P is prepare and pray. We do a, we do a lot of preparation for lots of things. Uh, Sarah and I are looking at getting our, our basement finished. And there's a lot of preparation involved in that. We think about like uh, we thought about the layout we wanted. And I thought, oh, we're, we're done, right? We got the layout. But then you get all these other things like uh, you get all these quotes and you get all these other thoughts of, what kind of flooring do you want? What kind of fixtures? Where do you want everything? What does the layout look like? Hey, guess what? Before we come down here, you have to clean up this, what, what's down here already so we have space to work. And you're, so there's a lot of preparation that has to, be, has to be done. When we're preparing, we try to think of steps for goals. But, you know, plans change. Because we're not in control, because the Lord is directing our steps, sometimes our, our plans um, don't always happen. And so that's why I put the prayer part in there, right? No matter how much we plan, we should also be praying. Praying for the Lord's guidance, praying for help. For me, sometimes it's really easy as you look through the Kings or, or 
you know, the Old Testament, to be really critical of the Old Testament believers and how they didn't pray. Uh, one example to think about is Joshua with the Gibeonites of how they came with trickery, uh, with old bread and uh, said, oh, we're on this, we're on this long journey. And it, it doesn't say anywhere that Joshua or the leaders uh, prayed to the Lord for wisdom. We could be really critical of that. But how many times in our own life, when we make decisions, do we actually ask God for help? Do we ask God to show us what he, what he wants us to do? So we, when we're making plans, we should prepare, but we should also pray. Second, L, a labor and lean. So when I say labor, we're not talking about having a baby. We're talking about working. Just, just so you know, right? Labor, labor is from God. Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which are good, so that he may have something to give him who's, who, who needs. So we have this thought, labor is from God. God wants us to work. Uh, how we labor is important to God. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says this, So he planted, and he watered, he that watered are one, and each one shall receive his own reward according to his labor. Right? So we receive a reward according to how we labored. So how we labor is important to God. What we labor in is important to God. First uh, Corinthians 3.13 says this, Each one's work shall be revealed, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try each one's work as to what kind it is. But here's kind of where the lean part comes in. We labor in vain unless the Lord builds it. Psalms 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So it's not just our work. We also have to lean on the Lord for the work that we're doing. We need his help. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Come all, to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So there's a time that we need to rest on the Lord. We need to lean on him. We can't just labor in our own strength. And so doing that, we're not doing what God wants. We, he wants us to, to wait on him, to lean on him. Uh, this is a little cheater. Uh, I said a wait or waiting. Um, Psalms 27 verse 14 says this, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just that thought of, Waiting on God. Psalms 37 verse 7 says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So the A is awaiting. We're waiting on God. Sometimes we don't want to wait for His answer or wait for His timing. Um, I know sometimes I'm in a hurry and I forget to, to wait. Uh, the N. I, I struggle with the N, so I, I put non-negotiable. And the thought there is that uh, we're not negotiating to, to sin. Um, Psalms 15 talks about who may uh, enter the house of the Lord. And one of the, one of the verses, verse 4 says this, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And it's the idea of making a promise. He made a promise 
and keeping that promise or fulfilling that promise, even at the end, uh, if it if it turned bad for you or if it uh, hurts you, um, just this idea of uh, integrity and honesty, um, always following what the Lord is, not not negotiating, not uh, giving in to uh, what the what the world says is okay, but really following what the Word of God says and, and following it even if it, it's to hurt. And the last, the S, is suffer. Um, I think we, we spend a lot of time uh, saying that or thinking that we should not suffer. Second um, Timothy 3.12 says this, Yes, all who desire to live a God, godly in Christ will suffer persecution. We live in a society that's uh, focused on comfort and care, uh, our own comfort. And uh, when we're uncomfortable, we don't like it. Um, God, you know, God says this, that if you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. There will be suffering. If we, as we look around this life, it's a, it's a very hard life that we have, and there's lots of suffering in it. So we plan, the Lord directs, um, he dictates. I think I've talked a little bit about this already, but God is in control. He dictates what's going to happen. Um, you know, it, it says this we, in our memory verse that we, we said here this morning for the month in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, Right, that idea of that that perfect timing, God sent forth His Son, so He's dictating what's going to happen. But He's not just dictating; He's also interceding. He's interceding concerning our salvation. Isaiah fifty three twelve says this uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says He bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So he's making intercession for us as, as sinners. Hebrews 7.25 goes on to say this, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. So he intercedes for us concerning salvation, but not only that, but also concerning prayer. The Spirit does this. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So he dictates, he intercedes, he redeems. Um, Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14 says this, For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, that he might redeem us. He also empathizes with us. Um, Can't understate the, you know, just as we thought, in the Lord's Supper of, of Jesus Christ coming as a man, humbling himself in that way, 
and says in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says in Psalms 103.14 that he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So he empathizes with us. He corrects us. Um, Jeremiah has this beautiful prayer in Jeremiah 10.24. He asks the Lord to correct him. He says this, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So he asks for that correction from God, knowing that he's a sinful man. Uh, In Hebrews 12, we have that, that great passage that talks about the Lord chastening us as sons. And that the way we know that we're legitimate sons is that he does chasten us or correct us. Um, I like this part. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who would have been trained by it. Right? Doesn't Sometimes it doesn't seem... Uh, great to be corrected or to chastened, but God is correcting us. He wants what's best for us, um, and he desires that for us. He not only corrects us, he tests us, um, and God's intent of testing us is that we may not sin. We learn that from Exodus twenty twenty, where Moses says to the people, this is while they're looking at Mount Sinai, uh, and they can see God descending on the mountain, And the people are afraid. And and Moses says to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Having that fear of God. Um, He tests us. He tests our hearts and our minds. Uh, Both 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says he tests our hearts, as well as Proverbs 17.3 Proverbs 17.3 says this, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Having that idea of refining our hearts. And that testing our minds is in Psalm 7.9, For for the righteous righteous God tests the hearts and the minds. Um, Testing what it is. So God tests us. He also saves us. First um, Timothy one fifteen says this: This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Right? God in His direction, He does not want any to perish, but He wants all to come to the saving knowledge of Him. So we looked at the past. Let's look at the the future. Um, as we, as we plan for the future in our lives, we should think about that the Lord is helping and directing us. And because we can have comfort that he's in control, that he's controlling all things and making sure we can have this thought that, that Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. See, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the only way we get that is if we trust in him. And since we know that he directs our steps from these passages, it's so great just to to know that he's in control of all things that we could see in his word, that we could see from our past, that he's directing those things. We can have comfort and comfort to know that he wants what's best for us. Um, he has perfect knowledge, perfect foresight, and perfect understanding of what we need. In fact, he understands us better than ourselves. So as we look to the future in our, to be seen in our lives, we can have that, that trust in him because we know that he is in control. We also have in his word... Uh, He's been gracious enough to reveal to us what's going to happen, right? You can think about uh, the rapture, the returning of Christ uh, in the clouds for his church, the call of his church to him, um, this tribulation that's going to happen. Uh, that Jesus Christ one day will rule the earth for a thousand years on here. And at the end of the time, he will make all things, all things new. So as we look forward to 2020, let's have this perfect vision to remember that God is in control and is directing our steps. Let's look to him and and trust him uh, as we look uh, to the new year. Father, we just um, we thank you so much that you are in control. We thank you for your your care for us, that you want what's best for us. We thank you for uh, your word that shows examples of how you took care of others in the past. We thank you that you revealed to us in our lives to show how uh, you've uh, provided for us, even though at the time we could not see that you were providing for us. Lord, help us to, as we look to the future, to, to be anxious for nothing, but to to give everything to you. Father, we have a a lot of cares and concerns, a lot of uh, things that that are are, are real problems, Lord, that uh, we give to you to correctly handle and take care of. Uh, Lord, just to thank you that you are in control of all things. Help us as we go our way uh, uh, here and remember the new year to, to do so looking, looking to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.